All right, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said this, He said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Hmm. Mighty important what he said there. All right, we're going to read some more. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. You don't have to go far to find that. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the, apostle, unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. See, there's a promise. There's a promise of something. Something else. Something that most people never know about, sadly. John chapter 1, verse 32 and 34. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. And John, John the Baptist, bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but that, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. You see, did you get that? John baptized with water, but there came one after him to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts part of the earth. John 16, verse 7 and 8. John 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There's a promise. Jesus made this promise over and over. He spoke of it over and over. That after he was gone, he was going to send some, something else. The Comforter. The Holy Ghost of God. They're, they would be endued with power. And this is not just to them. This is to every believer. Yes, sir. Surely it's not just to those few people back there and the rest of it's just it's just old religion. <laughs> nope. John sixteen, uh, verses thirteen through fourteen here. Howbeit when he this is Jesus speaking again, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. 
But whosoever, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Alright, now I told you I want to read a bunch of scripture. I've got some more here I want to read before we get started. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 11. And I hope you're listening to the scripture and... And it's not, uh, you're not missing it looking for the scripture in the, in the Bible here. So you can write them down, look for them later, listen to what the message is here in all of these verses. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 11. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of our, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. There's a difference. In Second uh, Corinthians here, he's talking about how that we're not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. This is not a carnal thing. That, well, the Christianity is not a carnal thing. It's a spiritual thing. And God, our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For, the ministration of the con uh, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more, doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. This is talking about what the Holy Spirit does. And, and it's a comparison to the law versus the Spirit. For if the ministration of the condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, how much, uh, much more that which remaineth is glorious. The new covenant, the old covenant, there was a great difference. What's the great difference? The Spirit of God living in us, manifesting Himself through us, in us, most importantly, in us. That's the difference. That's the promise that Jesus made here. It, wait until you're endued with power from on high. Nobody does that anymore. They just go anyway. We've got a plan. We know what to do. We've got it written down. We're organized and we figured it out. We're just going to do it. It'll bring results. Yeah. John 14, verses 15 20. And I'll read this and then we'll get going here. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Just hold on. Let me just insert something here. What is the earnest of our salvation? The Spirit. Yes. <laughs> it's the earnest. It's what we got right now. Yes, sir. It's the taste. It's the little portion of it. I mean, just think about that. And if it's glorious, if it excels in glory, what's the real, what's the final thing going to be? Well, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Bible in Spanish there, that word that for comfortless, they use the word orphan. That's what they say. I'll not leave you an orphan. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. What day? What day is he talking about? What's the context? The Comforter. When you, when the Spirit of God manifests Himself in you, then you'll know. You'll know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now that right there is wonderful. The Spirit itself bears witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's what that's saying right there. He said, in that day, you'll know. You'll realize. So it's very obvious from the Scriptures that there's something more that most people ever, than most people ever experience in their religion. It's very clear that Jesus promised to do more for His people here and now in this present world, in this earthly life, than most people who profess to know Him ever experience. That's right. There's more to it than most people ever experience. There's more to salvation here and now than simply a profession of faith or a decision to accept Christ as your Savior and then continue as you were. There's more to it than that. I was never satisfied with that. I hope you're not satisfied with that. Woe unto you if you're satisfied with that. Yes, sir. And you think that you're ready for heaven and you're ready to be in the presence of God when all you've done and all you've got and all you can muster up is that. There must be more than that. Or there's no evidence of real salvation. The New Testament, the New Covenant is not like the Old Covenant. It's different in that respect. Uh, there's more scriptures. I could just read and read and read. I read a bunch today that I wanted to put in here, but it just take too long. But uh, the Old Testament prophets prophesied about God pouring out His Spirit. On, uh, and, and in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, he mentioned it. And he quoted those Old Testament prophets saying that God was going to put His Spirit in them. And what a difference it was going to make. There's more to being saved than simply being on your way to heaven. Yes, There's more to being born again than having knowledge and understanding of the Bible. I mean, grab that right there. There's more to being born again than knowledge and understanding. But yet, if we be honest and if we really look that thing out, that's where most people are. And if we're not careful, that's where we'll be. That's where we'll stay. That's where we'll drop our anchor. And I know, I understand. There's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more than knowing and understanding. Do you realize that hell is full right now and going to be for eternity of people who knew and understood, but they never had the Spirit of God dwell in them. There is something else that's been left out been overlooked. Everybody just assumes that. They assume because the Bible says that the Spirit of God dwells in those who are born again, that the Spirit of God dwells in me. The Spirit of God don't dwell in you. 
if you don't have the evidence, and we're going to talk about some of that here, what does he do? How does he manifest himself? What is the work of the Holy Spirit in us? And if that's not in you, then all of your knowledge and all of your understanding that you think you have and all of the Bible verses you've memorized and whatever works you've done don't mean a thing. There's more to being saved than, and, and more to being regenerated than learning and growing in grace and doing good works and being faithful and going to church and giving. Do you realize you can do all of those things? And be lost. Not be saved. You realize how easy it is for the devil to deceive you into thinking that you're saved and on your way to heaven because you know all this. Because you've learned all this. Because you believe all this. Because you've done all this. And be lost. Who is that great crowd that's going to say, Lord, Lord, we've done many marvelous works in your name and in thy name we've cast out devils. And he, he says unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. The Spirit of God, and I don't know how to say this plainly enough, but that's where the intimate relation is between us and God. It's spiritual. It's not in knowledge. It's not in doctrine. It's not in what we understand or don't understand. There's more to being a Christian than being a witness with our mouths and our actions. It's a spiritual birth that brings spiritual life. It's not a rebirth of the old natural man just made better. It's not an improved version of the old me. The old me is dead. Crucified with Christ. The new man is a spiritual man. Made after the image of Christ. Now the Bible's full of this. It's just full of this. We can't miss this. We can't ignore this. We can't neglect it. We can't just act like it's just a doctrinal truth and therefore it's true. The Bible says so, so. That must mean me. No, there's got to be something real. Something real. Spiritually real in our life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That means he's a new spiritual creature, not a new intellectual, fleshly, more worldly wise kind of creature. The new man is a spiritual man, not a carnal man, not a fleshly man. You are not in the flesh, if so be that the Spirit of Christ dwelleth in you. Romans chapter 8. You all know that's in there, don't you? But people brag about the fact that they're in the flesh and excuse themselves and rest in it and, and, and use that for an explanation of why they're like they are. We're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, translated means to be conveyed from one place to another. So I'm not where I used to be. I'm not what I used to be if I'm a child of God, born again. Spirit of God dwelling in me. Different, different person. Different person. Our life is not changed. We're crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Dead. That's right. Dead to sin. You know what the Bible says? That's how the Bible phrases it and puts the message across. I'm crucified with Christ. 
uh, and given new life, which is based in the spiritual realm instead of the earthly, fleshly realm. So there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Now they made it up and they said that, but it cannot be. It's a total contradiction of meaning completely. If you look up carnal in the dictionary, the first definition is unregenerate. Look it up. I'm an unregenerate Christian. Yeah, that makes sense, don't it? How many of you that makes sense to? <laughs> no, no. I'm just trying to get across to you that to be saved, to be born again, to be a child of God is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual mind and heart. Everything is translated from the carnal realm, the earthly realm, the physical realm, to the spiritual realm. Your eyes are opened. You couldn't see this before. Natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. For they are, what? Spiritually discerned. He don't speak that language. He don't see that, that uh, spectrum of light. He don't see it. He's blind. That's why John Newton wrote, that's why he phrased that song like that, I was blind, but now I see. And if you're born again here tonight, you can fully understand that because you were blind. I was blind. There was a moment when my eyes were open, just like blind Bartimaeus. Just like that blind man in John chapter 9 we saw talking about the other day, Seth. Blind from his mother's birth, uh, womb. And, and him, over 40 years old, and he could see. He said, I don't know. You're asking me all these questions. He said, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. <laughs> Explain it to us. What did he do? How did he do it? How did it work? I don't know. That's the way it is with the things of the Spirit of God. Jesus told Nicodemus that. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. But you can't see it. You don't know. You, you can feel it. You can hear the sound there, but you can't tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is the Spirit of God. So is the things of the Spirit of God. The working of the Spirit of God. See, people with their carnal mind try to understand the things of God. And the people with their carnal mind try to understand the things of the Spirit of God. And that's why it's so hard to preach it and, and get it across in a way that people understand it because they're listening with a carnal mind. With an earthly mind, everything that comes in through their ears is put through those carnal, earthly filters. And they can't get it. And it's misrepresented so much and, and all that. But anyway, we find ourselves present, still present, in this earthly, physical realm. Even though everything I said is just true. Just said it's true. Where evil is ever-present. And Satan is the prince and power of the air we breathe. Evil is... We're living in a sea of evil all around us. The influences around us are all evil. Thus the conflict that every child of God experiences from the time he's born again. That's what we've been talking about for so long here. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual conflict. We're in this world, but not of this world. 
We're in this world and the world hates us if we're a child of God because they don't understand. They don't understand what motivates us. They don't understand. And they look at all and, and we're all judged by the fleshly, carnal, unregenerate people who are in the churches who act like they do. And they don't understand. <clears throat> this constant assault upon our minds of evil trying to deceive us and lead us into the snare of the devil where our lives would be ruined and our influence would be such that it would poison the minds of others and, and doom them to ruin also. That's the situation. Now Jesus knew this. Was going to be, he knew it was going to be like this. In John chapter 16, John chapter 14, those verses we just read where he's talking to his disciples and telling them about what's about to happen, what it's going to be like. He knew that it was going to be like this for us. And that's why he said those wonderful words, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm not going to turn you out to the wolves. And I'm not going to abandon you. I'll come to you. What do you mean? I'll be, I'll be back. Well, he's coming back for his church. That ain't what he's talking about. The Spirit of God, the Comforter, I will send him. You're going to have some. And he said, it's expedient for you that I go away. As I go not away, the comforter will not come. And he said, it's going to be much better. You're going to fare much better in this world and all this evil without me, but with the Spirit of God living in you. Wow. You can't get your mind around that. I can't. Jesus knew to be what we would be up against and He made these promises to us about sending the Comforter, His Holy Spirit, to live within us, to guide us, and to lead us unto all truth and to glorify Him in our souls. He said, when He comes, He'll glorify me. Before the whole world? No, that's, I don't think that's what He meant. He'll glorify me in your soul. That's how you'll know that I'm in you and you are in me, and we are in the Father. That's how you'll know. When the Spirit of God comes, that day, you'll know. It's a personal, inward realization, a reality. That's what the Spirit of God makes all of this to you. He makes Christ real to you. Yes, sir. In your soul, not in your intellect. You don't perceive Christ intellectually. You don't know Christ intellectually. You can know about Him. You can learn all about Him. You can memorize all He said in the Gospels. You can do all that. But it's only the Spirit of God that makes Him a reality in your soul. And you can't explain that to somebody else. And you can't tell them how it is, how it happened, what you did. You didn't do it. He did it. It's the it's the thing that makes it real. It's the thing that gives your profession, your life, power. Your witness for Christ. The Spirit of God alone is what gives it the power. That's why you're supposed to wait until you're endued with power from on high. Don't just take off in your own power, in your own flesh, in your own knowledge. In your education, instruction that somebody's given you how to do it. Right. Wait until there's power. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. It made them marvel that these were unlearned and ignorant men. 
but yet. And that was one of the things they said about Jesus. He speaks as one having authority. His word is with power. Why? Because it was just so full of wisdom and so full of uh, understanding. Is that what it was? No. It was the Spirit of God that gave it power. It works the same with us. In every area of our life. (laughs) So, what is the Spirit's working in us? Please listen. It's what happens in us. Not to us. It's what happens in us as we yield our heart and our mind and our body to God in pursuit of the truth. It's what happens in us. Can you explain to me, if you're a child of God tonight, can you explain to me what God has done in your heart, in your mind, in your soul? Can you explain it to me? Nope. I can't. I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is that it's something real that changed my life from the beginning and changed my life again and again and again. And every time He comes to me, He changes everything. Not from one thing to another thing. It just enlarges every time. It's not from learning and growing in grace or obedience to commandments as a matter of duty or, or habit. You've got to listen close. You're not going to get what I'm trying to get across to you if you don't. It's not from learning. Now, certainly, learning is a part of the Christian life because He gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and teachers for that reason, for the edification of the church, for the perfecting of the saints, to bring us till we all come to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Learn. Yes, we're to learn. A disciple is a follower and a learner. We're to learn. But there's more to it than just learning. And the Spirit doesn't come to us and endure us with power because of what we know. Knowledge puffeth up. It surely does. It's not what we know. It's how much we yield Certainly, growing in grace is something that the Scripture teaches and commands and encourages and provides for. Growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes! But that's not a Spirit-filled life. That's not a Spirit-led life. That's not what it consists of. Is that clear enough? You can sit in church and learn and learn. You can study your Bible and you can read and you can find out all the facts and not have the Spirit of God. What's most important? That the Spirit of the Holy One come down. The Spirit of the Holy One come to you. The Spirit of God has to be real in your life, in your heart and mind. It's the most neglected part of the whole deal. I really believe that. It's the most important thing that's missing in modern Christianity, in the churches, in the preaching, in our living, in our thinking. We just don't think about it. We just assume that we have the Spirit of God because the Bible says that. And we accept it with no evidence. Or we call evidence of the Holy Spirit when we have certain feelings. You know, if we go to church and we feel good and we like the sermon and we like the people and 
we think the Spirit of God's doing that. Not necessarily. <clears throat> we, can, we can learn and grow in knowledge and even understanding the ways of God. You can even understand the ways of God. How, you ever thought about this? Have you ever investigated this? How close can you come to looking like a real Christian and not being one? How close do you think you can come? <laughs> Judas cast out devils. Judas ate at the table with all of them. He carried the money back. When they, when they all said, Lord, is it I? Not one of them looked at him and said, I bet it's him. Been watching him. <laughs> no way. No way. How, how good of an imitation can you be? It ought to startle us. Here's the answer. You can have everything. You can look exactly like the real deal and not have the Spirit of God. That's the telltale <coughs> signature right there. The Spirit, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, if that's not in your life, if that's not in your soul, do you know, has the Spirit of God witness to your spirit. If he, if he has, you don't need anybody to give you assurance. You don't need any miracle to prove. You don't need any special manifestation or learn anything else. If the Spirit of God has made it clear in your soul, you know. And there's just no explaining it any farther. There's no way to tell you how it happens. It's just the way it is. You know. You know if you're saved or not. And you're not counting on all your works, what you've done. How many times have I asked somebody I've been saved and they say, I've been baptized? Yeah. How many of you have heard somebody say that? Yeah, of course. Got that answer more than any other answer. Well, I've been baptized. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. In a Baptist church too. If they know you're a Baptist thing. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a sad fact. But most professing Christians of all the ages, have fallen short right here. The last thing Jesus said was, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. <laughs> we forgot that. We ignored that. We thought that's just for them. That's just a story. That's part of the story of them, the disciples and the Pentecost and all that. But after that, it just all went. <clears throat> now it's just <clears throat> do the best you can, learn what you can, go to church, give your money, you know, be faithful, do all that stuff. No. <laughs> That's why the church has dwindled down to what it is now. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Seven times in Revelation. There have been many errors through the years because of the fact that the words of Jesus and all the Scriptures plainly point to something more than most people ever see or experience with God in this life. You know, there's been this deal, uh, second work of grace. Well, you, you believe in a second work of grace? Well, I do. I believe in a thousand works of grace. There's no telling how many works of grace God has done in my life, in your life. But that ain't what they're meaning when they, you know, that's not the common understanding of that phrase. The common understanding is the, uh, you know, entire sanctification 
the eradication of the sinful nature and all that. There's this thing that happens to you and, and uh, <clears throat> then you're never tempted, you never sin, and, uh, and you're just a different person. And that happens after you've been saved. And that's what that is, that endued with power from on high. No, it's not. That's a terrible error. Then there's this speaking in tongues, which has become synonymous in our time with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which it is not. No, it's not. Uh, it's a manifestation, but it's a manifestation of something besides the Holy Spirit. I promise you that. All kinds of other things, such as miracles and healing, which are supposed to be the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what they all always say? That's what everybody's always fascinated. Boy, the Spirit of God's done. Look what the Spirit of God has done here. <clears throat> the Bible never indicates that any of that is evidence of the Spirit's work. And y'all realize that? Never. The Bible doesn't give any... They call that evidence of the Spirit of God. Jesus never said that when the Spirit of God has come, He'll heal. And He'll perform miracles. Is that what Jesus said the Spirit of God would do? Never! What did he say? He said, when he comes, he'll speak of me. He'll glorify me. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll, he'll, he'll well, I've got verses to read. I think I may have already read them here. But anyway, he said he'll, he'll, uh, he'll be the comforter. He'll, and he'll guide you. There's another thing. I just want to go on here. It's slipped my mind. Anyway, all of these errors are based upon looking for signs and wonders as confirmation of faith or the presence of the Spirit of God. Now, you know what that does? If, you, if you'd have been listening to me through all of this, you'd understand this a little better. But all of that that I just talked about there, that puts this all in the, in the category of superstitious leanings, which are lies and suggestions from evil spirits, not the Holy Spirit. That's what superstition is. It's of the devil. It's not of God. The Holy Spirit never even does anything that resembles superstitious, <clears throat> supernatural manifestations. Of the working of the Spirit of God in us is something that happens that we cannot explain or put our finger on. Listen, listen. Uh, we're not going to be long tonight. I'm, I'm hurrying as fast as I can here, but it is so important. It changes when the Spirit of God does something in you, works in you, manifests Himself in you. It changes. It, it is changes in our understanding, in our attitudes, in our desires, in our affections that is not a product of our own reasoning or the desire to be accepted by others. Now, I said a whole sermon right there. What is the Spirit of God? What is the working of the Spirit of God? It's changes in our understanding. You ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced changes in attitudes? Just God changes your attitude. I didn't do it. I didn't learn something that fixed that. God just did something in me. I got a different attitude. My desires changed. Not of my own will. Not of my own reasoning. I didn't sit around thinking about it until I said, any, meeny, miny, mo. Well, I think that's what I, you know. That's what I'll be. That's what I want. That's what I desire. 
No, He'll give you the desires of your heart. God changes things in you. In you. And it just happens. Affections. The... What the, you know, there's songs, there's little songs we used to sing on the bus and stuff, and then there's other songs I'm thinking of right now. But, you know, the people I, I didn't used to like people that went to church. I didn't like them. I said the same thing about them that everybody else says about them when they're lost. A bunch of hypocrites. Holier than now, they think they're so good. They don't, uh, that's the way I felt about them. I, I just, you know, I just despised them. For no really reason. None of them ever did anything to me to make me feel that way. It's just, is a spiritual thing. See, the devil had put that in me for no reason. Lied to me, convinced me in my mind by listening to other people that that's what them people, they just want more than I, just a bunch of hypocrites and liars and think they're so much better than me. Why, well, if I, and I know what they are and I know what they did, and if they're going to heaven, I'm a shoe in, that's for sure, because I'm better than that. That attitude. When I got born again, Yeah. What does that song say? Those old hypocrites. Yeah. That old church house where the hypocrites go. Yeah. They look like saints washed whites. Yeah. Your attitude changes. Your affections change. The places I went, the people I hung around and enjoyed their company, I didn't. All of a sudden, didn't enjoy that anymore. These people that I didn't want nothing to do with, now I enjoyed their company. I really did. It wasn't just a thing I said, well, I'm just going to change gears here and do this for a while. Try to see if that works for me. It wasn't like that at all. Something happened in here and in here. That's what the working of the Holy Spirit of God in us is like. It's not a product of our own reasoning or peer pressure desire to be accepted by others, we just suddenly realize that there has been a change in our very soul that has affected our whole being and that it is permanent. You'll know when the Spirit of God has worked in you when you experience that, when you just realize. (laughs) How many people have you ever heard testify, you know, I I don't know what happened. Now, I'm not saying that being saved is it just something just happens to you and you. No, you have to have understanding of the gospel. You have to hear. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, you have to understand something. You don't have to be a theologian and you don't have to understand all of the theology and stuff. Even like we talk about Sunday night, you don't have to understand all that to be saved. <clears throat> But you do have to understand that you're lost in a sinner and the devil's hat got you in his snare and that the only hope for you is to find your way to Jesus. Now, it always happens in response to our response to divine truth as it is revealed to our mind. Oh, you hear me? This is so important. What opens the door for the Spirit of God to come in just yielding to the divine truth when it's revealed to me. That is the way it works. That is, that is what the Bible teaches and that has been my experience too. You buck up. You say, whoa. 
You respond to the revelation of divine truth to your soul with, with uh, stubbornness, with pride, you know, with reluctance. The Spirit of God's not going to do anything in you. You're done. You're at a absolute standstill stop. And you're going to go backwards real quick if that doesn't change. And I'm not talking about being, uh, you know, exposed to some new view of things or somebody's idea. I'm talking about divine truth. There's a difference. When you, I've, I hear things all the time that men think and men have written and men agree on and, and it doesn't, it's not divine truth because the Spirit of God doesn't bear witness with it. It's different and I, it's just, here we go, Spirit of God again. How can I explain this to you? When I hear truth from God, I'm talking about divine truth. The Spirit of God bears witness with it. He has never failed me on that. Yeah. I mean, there's just a, a witness in my soul that that is true. It just rings true. And then when I start looking at it, and I compare it with what the Bible says, and I know the Bible says, it fits. Mm-hmm. Now, if it don't fit my life, the way I'm living, what I think, and I stall right there, then I'm not going to have the witness of the Spirit in my soul. I'm not going to feel that change all of a sudden in my views. What I can see and understand. Y'all with me? If we yield to the truth revealed, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God manifests Himself to us in our inward man with joy, gladness, peace and love toward God and other people. That is how the Spirit of God will manifest Himself in you in response to your positive response and yielding to the truth. I don't know how many of you really, I know I'm saying too many words to get that out, but its I don't know how to do it any other way. You're not going to respond with brawling, arguing, you know, conflict, uh, strife. That's all that's not of the Spirit of God. When you respond to the truth, the Spirit of God is going to, you're going to find joy and peace and gladness and love toward God and other people just blossom in your heart. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 5 means when it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. See what I mean? That's, he said in a few words what I just tried to say in a whole bunch of words. You see? This is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's something that happens immediately upon the new birth. Everybody can testify to that. The moment your eyes were opened. It was just... Wasn't it? You just passed from death unto life. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something that happens immediately upon a new birth, but continues through the rest of our earthly life. We can't think of it as baptism like water baptism, where we're baptized one time, 
And then, you know, then we can always say, I've been baptized. I've been baptized. The baptism of the Spirit is not like that. Your first experience is like that. That's why a lot of people, their only testimony they ever have is when they got saved. Shouldn't be that way. Because the day of Pentecost was such a spectacular manifestation of the Spirit of God, most people have always looked for something like that in their Christian life. And there, there is something spectacular that happens, but it's in our soul. It's not a public display. When Jesus baptizes you, the Holy Ghost, it's not a public display for everybody to see. It's the kingdom of God is within you. It's not on the outside. Men look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Men can't look on the heart. They don't know what's going on. And it, they, do, they wouldn't understand it if they had any idea. They don't understand. The working of the Spirit is a very personal and private thing between the Lord and His child. It's not meant for public viewing, but it's meant for edification, assurance, and simply just the love of God manifested to His trusting, loving child. That's what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is. It's not to make you jump over the pews and swing off the light fixtures and, you know, chirp like a monkey or bark like a dog or talk in tongues. That's not what it's for. He said, I'll send Him to you, the Comforter. I'll not leave you. I will come to you. And that's what He meant. You can't have a spirit-filled church if you don't have spirit-filled people. If the people in the church don't are not led by the Holy Ghost, really, 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 not just saying they are and thinking they are because they do certain things and they feel a certain way, but really led by the Spirit of God. They have a real relationship with God through the Spirit of God who manifests Himself to them inwardly. I wouldn't know I was saved by the things I do or the things I've done. If I'd look back on my life at the things I've done, I'd just have to say, <laughs> I'm a loser. Yeah. But it ain't that way at all because there's something else that's happened. There's something else that's been a fact in my life for years now, and that's the Spirit of God that makes it real. And it's not imagination, and it's not just wishful thinking. It's the real deal. I don't, it's not something that you can search for and, you know, make happen. I found that out. He comes when I least expect it sometimes. He's come when I didn't have no way to, I didn't know how to touch him. I didn't know how to reach him. I've been where he couldn't even pray. Just, and just right in them, right in the midst of it. So real as if somebody touched you. You believe that? You think I'm crazy? I'm not crazy. I'm not mad, oh noble Felix. I'm speaking the things of truth and life. The working of the Spirit's very personal. 
Now, the working of the Spirit of God in the believer is a progressive work as well. As we look at the opposite side, you know, the things we've talked about for the last months, and, we, and the way people come under the influence of evil spirits. We've talked a lot about that. They come under the influence of evil spirits until they become possessed by them. And we can see that there's a similarity to how people are brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That may sound odd to you, but, but it's a spiritual battle. So there is a two-way thing here. And the devil is an imitator. He said, I'll be like the Most High. And that's what he does. He transforms himself. He is an angel of light. So he transformed himself. He's transformed into an angel of light. So it's no wonder if his minister, no marvel, if his minister be transformed into the ministers of righteousness. So expect the evil to try to imitate the good in a crude, clumsy way. But people come under the influence of, of evil and, and people come under the influence of the Holy Spirit until they're filled and led by His Spirit. Both ways, see. As people give the ear of their mind to spiritual evil, it is notice, it's not noticeable at first because it's something that's going on in their mind and heart. So well, we've just rattled the cage and rattled the cage here about you know the children and, and your, our own selves, how to be careful about the influences that we allow through our ears and eyes on our mind. Because there's where the battleground's at. And evil, that's where the devil is targeting. And that's where the battle goes on. But as they yield to the suggestions and the lies and the enticements of evil, they wind up full of the devil himself with a deep hatred for God and His people and everything that's right or holy. How do people get in that shape? They got there slowly through the influences of evil on their mind. Until they become completely possessed with the devil. Well, praise the Lord. The opposite is also true. Yes, sir. Mark 7, verse 16. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What is it that changes us from glory to glory? Now, Jesus said when He comes, He will what? Glorify me. So from glory to glory, it's a progressive work in our life. The Spirit of God. He does a progressive work in our life. From glory to glory. Glorifying Christ. Do you love Christ more? Do you know Him better today than you did years ago when you got saved? Oh, I do. Yes, I do. My, my. There's no comparison. I don't understand people that have to go back to their salvation to have a testimony. I can't even... There is no comparison to what I felt then, what I knew then, to what I have now. You know, y'all understand that? Yes, sir. I've gotten more to praise Him for today than I did yesterday. But especially 45 years ago. I've got more to go to heaven for yeah, than I did yesterday. 
But what does it? The Spirit of the Lord. One more verse. Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's how it works. Amen. We're going to hang around here for a little while. There's too much to talk about here. Too much that's missing in our... Uh, understanding about the Spirit of God and His role in salvation and in sanctification in our life. It's very, very important. You know, the Spirit of God, there in Acts where they were all in one accord in one place, the Spirit of God didn't do that. They were in one accord in one place and then the Holy Ghost came. They created, you know, the the atmosphere was right for the Holy Ghost to come. See, the Spirit of God won't speak to us until... What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, it means that we resist Him. We're not yielded to Him. He's not welcome. He doesn't feel welcome. He feels offended at us because you ever feel that way toward other people? I mean, you know... What if we just meet you downtown somewhere, meet you in Walmart, and we just look at you and just walk on by, not you know, right face to face, and just not even say hi? You know we've seen each other. Brother. You'd go home and say, "Wonder what's wrong." They didn't say nothing. They just walked right past us like they didn't even know us, wouldn't you? Well, I would. If you did that to me, I'd say, "What's wrong?" <clears throat> the Spirit of God's that way, led by the Spirit, walking. After the Spirit. It's a spiritual life. We should always be sensitive to Him. We talk about the Spirit of God and call Him it. No, he, it's Him. He's as much God as Jesus is God. He's as much God as God the Father's God. He's the Holy Ghost of God. And He's in us and He lives. He's ready and willing and desiring to manifest Himself to us. To show us He loves us. That He hasn't forgotten us. That He's guiding us. I don't know what else anybody could want in life more than that. What could you desire more than that? So, we need to do that. We need to think about this. We need to think about these things. And walk after the Spirit. Instead of walking after the flesh. Amen. Father... We thank You for the Word of God tonight. Thank You for the message here about the Spirit of God. And and I pray You'd help us to understand these things. It's very important. And we are very neglectful about this. <clears throat> We've been ignorant a lot about it. We've taken a lot for granted in this matter. And I pray You'd help us to correct that. Be more sensitive, more mindful of Your presence and of Your working in us and more yielded to allow You to have more of us. Help us, Lord, to empty ourselves of ourselves and make more room for You to work in us. We love You. Thank You and pray. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen.